Monday afternoon, everybody. It's a beautiful day here in Freight Island. A little bit of rain, a little bit of sun, everything's cool. You know, I caught the uh, dark night this weekend. Oh, finally. Yeah, the yeah. truck flip bit that we did there inspired yeah. me. It was on. I was like... Well, if you caught the show, you caught the newsletter, right? A couple weeks yeah. ago, the, yeah. the What the Truck newsletter, you can get every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. We talked about this stunt right here. Let's take a look at it. Oh, really awesome. cool. Yeah, it was at 1986 Peterbilt 358. It was driven by stuntman Jim Wilkie. Real practical effect. It was just done with some great cinematography. They put yeah. a giant piston under that truck. They had about four or five of them. Flipped it over, got it on the second try. Yeah, exactly. And it, so this is the first time I watched the movie and actually watched for that, that you know, that, that uh, what is the mist that comes out of that yeah. piston? And saw it was there, right? They didn't even try to cover that up. Like, no. Poof. Very, very cool. But hey, best Batman movie, you think? Yeah, it's that. You know why? Because it goes back to the roots of Batman. He's a detective. It's not really a superhero movie. It's more a crime movie. It reminds me of like The Town or Heat or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love Heath Ledger is amazing in there, too. Man. Yeah. Great Why show. Well, we got a big show for you today. I'm sure you've all seen Dark Knight by now. It came out in 2007, unless oh, you're yeah. Michael Vince. Although, you know what? I haven't seen Friday. Like, Chernobyl, that's been out two years. Finally watched it while I was sick over the past few yeah. days. By yeah. the way, sorry, guys, for missing Friday. I was sick, not with the Rona, but I was out. Different virus. <laughs> um, those two exist these days, too. Uh, but yeah, I got to see that, and I also watched Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers has been out for like yeah. 20 years. Finally caught that one, um, both on HBO. And the Suicide Squad, the new Suicide Squad. Good campy. But on today's show, we're actually going to take a field trip. We're going to go over to Tame and Transport. We're going to find out from those guys how they're bridging the culture gap oh, between cool. the drivers and their back office. We'll get to meet some of their truck drivers. We'll get to meet some of their back office. We'll get to meet their dispatcher, who was a driver for 26-some-odd years. And we'll take a look at their location down the street. That's a little later in the show. Also in this one, we're talking to Fleet Ops about drivers making the first move. Sounds like a dating app. Uh, Travelers yeah, wants to talk about crash avoidance. And Steve Ferreira is going to let us know about the state of ocean freight. And if we'll see any relief by Chinese New Year. And I've taken a lot of contention with this one because a lot of people are putting up headlines that go, you know, freight rates supposed to stay as they are until Chinese New Year. And my contention is, what about Chinese New Year, a disruptive <laughs> week Yeah, why, event? Is, why is the disruption of that going to solve everything? It, uh, yeah. <laughs> is it people just saying <laughs> stuff to say stuff? I think it is, but maybe Steve will think otherwise. Right, but... Before we hit the band, let me tell you a real quick story. So I think I got one of the biggest disses in the world. So <laughs> Do tell. Uh, Do you tell. know I'm waiting for my Cybertruck. So my lease ended yes. on my Honda months ago. I, I turned it back in. So we just have my wife's car. So we've been carpooling. Sometimes I, you know, my mm-hmm. wife takes me here. Sometimes I That's Uber. Right. I took an Uber home on Wednesday. And uh, this driver, you know, she's, you know, the Uber app to tell you to wear a mask. Yeah. So cool. I, you know, I got my mask on and everything. I'm sitting there. She's not talking to me, though. She picks me up and she's immediately on this phone call talking about how she's going to like she's calling up a radio station to get tickets to see Hinder in Chattanooga. <laughs> and Hinder is like this awful like meth induced love song rock. Do you know what Hinder is? No, I have no clue. Lips of an angel. It's just terrible, terrible music. OK. Well, she's done a personal <laughs> call. No mask vaping the whole time. Mind you, it's not a long drive. I don't say anything. We finally get to my yeah. house. I get out of the Uber. I'm walking towards the door. All of a sudden, she rolls down the window, and she goes, why don't you go get your own car? <laughs> like, and she had got me, too. Like, what am I, like, I'm in an Uber. Of course I didn't at the moment. I don't know what I did, though. I don't know if she was like, she just didn't like to look at me or what. But That is the dumb. ultimate diss, though, dude. Yeah, go, go buy a car. Anyways, go let's do, we got some news to get to. Let's tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. 
Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell them, Dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai immediately after this show. Headlines. Get over here. Okay. <laughs> More supply chain delays as Ningbo poor congestion worsens. So we hope to start this week saying, hey, it got better. But it didn't. Eric Coolish reports the closure of critical container terminal at the port of Ningbo in China because of the COVID infection. One COVID infection, mind you, is having ripple effects that are likely to spread worldwide, adding to shipping delays and stretching order lead times as companies try to stock shelves for holiday shipping season. As you know, it's peak season for that. As of 4 p.m. on Friday, 40 vessels were at anchor for a berth outside of Ningbo. An additional 30 container ships were parked outside the port of Shanghai, according to Kuhn and Nagel's Sea Explorer platform. Wow. Yeah. So uh, Francisca, uh, I guess it's uh, Beatke, Global Sea Logistics Marketing Manager for Kuna Nagel, says the average wait time for birth is now two to three days, my friend. uh, Port officials suspended operations at Ningbo's Maishan Terminal uh, on Wednesday after a single worker tested positive for COVID. All inbound and outbound container operations at the facility have been redirected to other terminals until further noticed, adding to the congestion at those locations as well. Mission is one of the five container terminals in Ningbo and handles about a quarter of the port's total volume. Authorities say trucking, container yard, and dock activity will remain on hold until the Ningbo Municipal Health Commission can determine the extent of this outbreak. Yeah, fortunately it's one person, but now we're seeing the reaction in Asia to one single case and how yeah. quickly they're ready to go on lockdown. And this isn't just happening in Ningbo, but in Ningbo, two days, the average number of port calls to Ningbo plunged 70% from 200 container vessels to fewer than 60 this week as ocean carriers divert vessels and initiate blank sailings to and from the port, according to data provided by Project 44 Supply Chain Visibility Platform. Big deal because this is capacity that's been taken offline. This is port calls that are being taken yeah. Offline, that big 70% drop, that's not... Some are being diverted, that's adding extra time, but there's been 37 blanked sailings. So, pretty big deal at a time where we're trying to add capacity. Doesn't look like we're going to be able to do that anytime soon. Another story here, truck driver sentenced to 25 years for a fatal crash in Kentucky. Clarissa Hawes, Freight's Black Widow, she reports a truck... Remind me never to be in a Clarissa Hawes story, by the way. She reports a truck driver... You never want to be under her no, byline. No, you see her walking in the door, it's time to pack It's up. time to go. When you're under her byline or she calls you up for... You're like, no. Um, Check, please. A truck driver was sentenced to 25 years in prison Friday for his role in a September 2019 multi-vehicle crash on Interstate 64 that killed one man and injured another driver in Kentucky. In late, uh, in late June, Jerry Elder... Junior, 47 of Flint, Michigan, we got a picture of him, let's show his mugshot, um, pleaded guilty to second-degree <laughs> manslaughter, second-degree assault, and first-degree wanton endangerment in Franklin County Court in Frankfort, Kentucky, after grand jury indicted him on murder charges in October of 2019, and there he is. There he is. So what happened? Kentucky State Police claim Elder was watching a video on his cell phone mounted on his dashboard when he failed to stop for traffic in a construction zone near exit 58 in the westbound lane of I-64. According to the crash report, Elder's tractor trailer plowed into the rear of a 2012 Jeep Liberty driven by Jeffrey Curtis, 61, of Bedford, Kentucky, before striking a 2013 Ford Explorer driven by Trina Summers, 61, of Shepherdsville, Kentucky, around 5.30 p.m. on September 29th, 2019. Yeah, Curtis, unfortunately, didn't make it through that accident. He was pronounced dead on the scene. Summers and Elder were were transported to a nearby hospital for the non-life-threatening industries. Uh, uh, injuries. Prosecutors say Elder will be eligible for parole after serving five years in Franklin County Jail in Frankfurt. What do you think of the punishment? Five years, 25 years. Five years parole, 25 years prison. 
Uh, I think it's fairly appropriate. Maybe should be a little stricter. I mean, this is, yeah. dude, it's totally preventable and negligent, man. Yeah, it's hard to say because 25 years, the negligence, huge, huge there. And you did take someone's life, but it's not like he also crawled into someone's window and, like, stabbed them in the neck with yeah, arrow. Yeah, he's not like a hardened criminal that needs to be rehabilitated. Yeah. He's going to have a lot more issues than just serving time uh, having known he killed somebody. Yeah, well, it does sound like at least some justice was served for now. Hopefully, yeah. Curtis's family can, you know, sleep with yeah. Saul's. More supply chain disruptions coming on. Uh, chip shortages have sank Mexico's auto exports in July. So they were roaring along throughout the year. But all these chip shortages finally come out to roost because these chips are freight. And they go into trucks, which make even bigger freight. So yeah. uh, instead of double, you're doing the opposite of double dipping. You're like double, what is the opposite of double An- dipping? Anti-dipping. Negative, negative double dipping. dipping. Something you're, like you're, that. You're, well, <laughs> if you guys have a better one for us, give it to us. Noy Mahoney reports, though, the latest wave of COVID-19 infections around the world has further hindered the global supply of semi conductor chips, causing production issues in Mexico's automotive industry. That's going to uh, Fuesto Cuevas. He's, director of, he's the director general of the Mexican Association of the Automotive Industry. Automobile manufacturing in Mexico fell 27% in July wow. compared to the same month last year. Well, which I don't necessarily like that comparison because, you know, you still need the context of, like, that COVID world and yeah, yeah, where yeah, there's yeah. shutdowns and what's going on. Year a difficult on. comparison right now, yeah. Um, exports, though, they fell 24% year-over-year according to Mexico's National Institute of Statistics and Geography. So, obviously, it's making an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cuevas said during a recent monthly video conference of industrial statistics, the main cause of the very low production record for the month of July is the shortage of semiconductors. Most of the companies in North America have seen their production volumes affected and have to announce and have to announce technical stops to adjust their production rhythms uh, to the supply of parts and components they use. The most obvious being the semiconductor. Yeah, Mexico's automotive production industry, which includes passenger vehicles as well as heavy, light, and medium-duty trucks. They build just about everything over there, and they do it for more than 30 foreign-owned factories across the country. It includes everybody. It's Chevrolet, General Motors, Ford, Mazda, Nissan, Toyota, BMW, and Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. I think maybe the only one that's not there is Tesla. It might, it might be. And, and that might even be there, too. It could, yeah, I don't know. They may probably get Wild times, in. indeed. Well, you know, we did talk about that big crash, right, with the, yes. with the, with the video monitor on there. We're going to be talking about crash avoidance, tech that you can use so that, practice that you can do, that, and all that kind of thing. Right now with Daniel Brown, he's the Risk Control Technical Director over at Travelers, and we are honored to have him join us right now. Daniel, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, great. glad to be with you. Thanks. Well, Daniel, our audience, uh, I don't think they've met you yet. I think this is the first time that we've met you as well. Just a little bit on your background here. Put a little context to yourself. Yeah, so I've worked as a safety Are you trying to talk to me? consultant for travelers for 22 years. Uh, but really, my career in transportation and safety started uh, way back uh, when I uh, first started driving a truck as a way to pay for college. And uh, so a lot of uh, my career, I focused on vehicle and fleet safety, um, including uh, a lot of uh, time working with uh, uh, heavy truck fleets and uh, focusing on commercial vehicles. Hey, that's great, Daniel. Thank you so much. And again, hey, welcome to the show, my friend. Today, we wanted to learn a little bit uh, more about crash, uh, I guess, avoidance technology. What are some of those technologies? And in your opinion, what are some of the benefits that you can get from those different technologies? Yeah, so first of all, what a great topic, especially as I hear you talking about the uh, crash involving the driver watching video while he was driving, right? So this is a really important topic uh, that relates to fleet safety for trucking companies, also the driving public as a whole. Um, I've spent my whole career looking at crash reports and studying highway safety, so this is a really important topic to me. 
Um, the important thing is that, you know, these technologies are not new, right? They've been around for a number of years, um, but we're finally getting to the point where more and more automakers and truck makers are offering these types of technologies as standard equipment on their vehicles or as additional add-ons, right? Um, some examples of these technologies, uh, and there's there's a growing collection of them, by the way, uh, but the ones you might have heard before are adaptive cruise control, uh, forward collision warning, automatic emergency braking uh, are some of the big ones, along with blind spot detection and lane departure warning. So why why are these technologies a big deal? So what I like to point out when I talk about this is that crash statistics show that 94% of crashes involve the driver as a causal factor. So in essence, it's something the driver did or did not do that contributed to the crash. And these crash avoidance technologies that we're talking about, they're really designed to help drivers avoid the kinds of errors that can result in a crash. So in, in, really with the end effect of reducing the frequency and severity of crashes, which is going to save lives, it's going to reduce crash-related injuries, and save money. So let's, hey, Daniel, let's narrow it down a little bit. Which of these technologies do you think can have the greatest impact on safety? So for me, uh, several technologies really stand out, um, and they really co correspond to some of the top serious truck-related losses. If you look at those, what you what you see right at the top of the list are rear end collisions, uh, lane change and turning related accidents, and loss of control or upset uh, losses. So those are so those are some of the most serious truck related losses. So the technology that I think is most exciting is forward collision warning with automatic emergency braking. Um, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration estimates that there are over 40,000 rear-end crashes every year that involve large trucks. And so this technology really promises to make an impact on the frequency and severity of those crashes. In fact, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety uh, is showing that rear-end collisions can be reduced by up to 41% with this technology. So that's a really big deal. Um, a couple of the other technologies that I think uh, are really, you know, worth uh, talking about uh, is blind spot monitoring. So help drivers with lane changes and turning uh, because of the substantial blind spots that they have on, on both sides of their vehicle. Um, lane departure warning, right? So protecting drivers against uh, distraction and fatigue. Um, but also uh, it can help reduce the risk of head-on collisions, right, if the driver strays out of his or her lane. Um, and finally, electronic stability control and roll stability control technologies, you know, those can really be helpful for reducing the risk of loss of control and upset uh, type of losses. Okay, so there's lots of these great technologies that are out there, and, and obviously a lot of good impacts, uh, positive impacts on safety. So crash avoidance techs, they have a lot of benefits. What are the pitfalls that, that, that we could be associated with these technologies as well? Yeah, clearly it's not a perfect picture, right? Um, and, but despite what you hear about self-driving trucks in the news, it seems like they're in the news a lot these days, um, 
the technology is really designed to help drivers and not replace them. Um, I guess I mentioned that not so much because it's a pitfall, but because it's a, a bit of a misconception, I think. It's really important for drivers to remain alert and engaged at all times, right? And if they're not, that's going to be a big problem. Um, the other thing I think is that we're learning that this technology is not foolproof, right? So lane departure warning systems are not going to work very well if the, if the roadway is covered with snow or ice or maybe the lane lines aren't uh, visible. Um, you know, when it comes to forward collision warning systems, they might they might read objects on the side of the road or even uh, bridge overpasses. It might uh, uh, think that those are uh, other vehicles on the road, so they might uh, create false signals. So these kinds of um, uh, problems with, with the systems or, or misreads um, can really lead drivers to not trust these systems or, or uh, believe that they're reliable. And so you know, they might not trust those systems as much as they should. Um, you know, another example where I think drivers might, um, you know, mistrust these systems is when they're, when it interferes with the way that they want to drive. Um, an example of that might be when a driver's trying to climb a hill, so he's accelerating um, to get over the hill, but he's maybe getting too close to another vehicle, so the automatic emergency braking or forward collision warning system might uh, try to slow the truck down as a result. So when drivers mistrust the systems or, or don't believe that they're reliable, they might not use them or they might ignore the warnings. And this ultimately, you know, could lead to reducing the potential benefit of having the systems in the first place. Well, Daniel, before... Um, I guess... Uh, uh, before you go, yeah, so yeah, go you, what, what should companies do if they're considering these technologies or giving these these great options, but, but what do you do? Well, I think, first of all, is to actually consider these technologies uh, when you're adding trucks to your fleet, right, because of the potential uh, safety benefits that they can provide. Uh, along with that, it's important to do your research, right, evaluate the technologies, make sure that they're going to, you know, they're right for the vehicles that you have in your fleet, uh, and you're getting getting the right technology. Um, but also talk to other companies that are are using them and get their perspective on uh, on those systems. Uh, I think really important is to drive uh, provide drivers with training. Um, it's really important for them to understand how those systems work um, and what the potential benefits are from using them. Uh, ultimately, it's really important to make sure the drivers understand that they are not being replaced by that technology, uh, then, and they need to remain alert and engaged at all times. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think we've learned a lot about crash avoidance technology. Uh, lots to digest there. You've given some great advice today. Go to Travelers.com for more details. Thanks for talking with us today, Daniel. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. Absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. All right. Now let's get to the, the mess. And, you know, we try to get out of this ocean freight coverage, but it's the story in freight, right? It's such a mess that every time you think there's some healing in nature, something new happens to, to rankle the supply chain. Right now, big issues going on in Ningbo, but also, as you may have seen today, Philippines now accusing the carriers of collusion. So a lot of heat being put on the carriers between, well, not a lot of heat, a lot of, a lot of haze being thrown up, but is any actual heat being put on? I don't know. Let's get yeah. this all sorted out with best-selling author, founder and CEO of Ocean Audit, host of Navigate B2B. It is Steve Ferreira. Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, Tim. Hey, Michael. Great to be here. How are you guys doing? You were so still for a second that I thought you were a photo. I was like, oh, he called in. Yeah, I, I was I like, know. man, I hope I see him in person. <laughs> I said, Wait a minute. <laughs> 
Steve, how's the, how's the world treating you? You got you got this best-selling book out right now. I know you're strumping for it. Are you doing a book tour? Are you signed any covers for the people out there? I'll tell you what, this has just been a home run. I, it, it's just been a real smash with my branding strategies, you know, to have uh, Ocean Audit be in such the forefront of Container Geddon, um, to have the Freight Waves exposure, and to have Navigating B2B come to life as a book. It's a dream come true for uh, my credentials and my branding. Um, you know, I don't think you know this, but it actually hit number three on the Wall Street Journal uh, list and number 81 on the global list for USA Today. So got a lot of good traction and uh, sold thousands and thousands of copies of it. So I'm really maybe happy with that. Uh, maybe I should give you some cowbell for that, Steve. There you go. Celebrate. <laughs> Take your victory lap around the block and get out of here. No, don't get out of here. We got more to talk about. We'll get more into the book later. But let's start with our lead story. We started talking about Ningbo. We started talking about the impacts that that's having on the supply chain, the blank sailings, the diversion, losing 70% of traffic, 40 ships at anchor, even worse than us, San Pedro Bay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what's going on there right now. Well, I think what happens is it's like, uh, you know, when one pin drops, you know, the, the rest do, or it's like the slingshot effect. I think you're just seeing a supply chain in complete chaos. And I think one of the things, you know, on my show last week, we talked about could one person bring the whole system down? And it's kind of funny how, you know, Ningbo started out with a single uh, double vaccinated worker who was uh, who came down with COVID. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, just uh a multitude of uh, global reactions, not just from that incident, but of, of course, you know, the diversions and the fact that Long Beach has again built up its influx of vessels at port, as well as many other global points. Zim's coming out on Wednesday, uh, probably. And again, I can't read tea leaves here, but I'm guessing they're going to give incredible, potentially forward guidance on, you know, how they see the market, you know, potentially just the, the income and wealth and generation of what the ocean carriers are doing. You've already had Maersk and Hapag have their results and you know, with some great forward guidance. So it's just incredible how tragedy and, and constraints in the supply chain make the, the, the ocean vendors that much more richer and in, in turn cause a lot of value products. And that's the, uh, the other big item to report on is that you know, many importers have low value commodity and we typically in the trade talk about low FOB value where the goods are worth 10000 or 20000 or $30,000. Those cargoes right now are shut out of the marketplace. What's going to happen when ocean rates do come down a bit where those cargoes are now eligible to be shipped again? It's going to, again, cause another blockage. So I think to be a good ocean freight um, uh, expert, you have to be like a chess master. You have to be thinking three steps ahead. Right now, none of us have done a real good job doing that. The king's gambit. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Steve, you asked the question, can one person bring down the supply chain? We had one person in Ningbo shut down the one port, right? Has it shut it down? What are the effects? What's going on there? I hear two to three days waiting for birth, et cetera, blank sailings. What, what's going down? What's the effects? Well, what I'm hearing uh, as of uh, the weekend is that it basically uh, caused 25% of the volume to be impacted. And it's a uh, uh, served by, I think, um, uh, Costco Evergreen and um, one of the uh, other alliance partners. Now, they also have the ability to, uh, Ningbo is a pretty um, public birthing uh, facility, so you can kind of, you know, mix and match pieces a bit, Michael. But I think the issue is that uh, it did cause uh, a lot of diversions. And again, um, if you do that, 
you know, AIS radar, marine traffic, whatever service you want to use to look at the port locations. There's a lot of dots sitting outside. And it's just hard to move these pieces around, um, to use a chess analogy, that, that quickly. Um, so I think that the more we have this chaos, uh, the more we're going to see, um, you know, the next big thing. And I forget who, who said it. I'm not sure if it was uh, Greg Miller from Freight Waves or I picked it up somewhere. But it's not going to surprise me in the least. I'm sure of it. we're going to have a port congestion fee. If it's not already come out for Ningbo, it's going to come out and it's going to be a hefty amount, maybe a couple thousand, maybe a, a thousand bucks or more. How about over here in the U.S.? Our, our ports are also a mess over in, you know, San Pedro Bay and um, at the FCC. Has ta- the, I'm sorry, the FMC, not the FCC. Why would they get involved? Maybe they need to. The, F- the FMC might solve it. Uh, said that they're going to, you know, they're, they're looking at these carriers now. You know, they're going to play hardball maybe, but there's not really much they can do. What can they do? What's going on at the U.S. ports? And Steve, also my question is, why do I keep seeing people saying, hey, this is going to last till Chinese New Year? Why would China, Why would this end at Chinese New Year, which is a disruptive event in and of itself? What about Chinese New Year says freight rates recede? Oh, Tim, I don't think it's uh, like that at all. I think people are just, you know, setting um, artificial markers, uh, you know, where they think these watershed events will will terminate themselves. And, you know, Chinese New Year, uh, that also kinds, tends to be kind of close to where uh, new ocean contracts are, are renegotiated. Um, however, I think the trend, you know, is definitely more towards uh, multi-year agreements. Uh, it's not necessarily the same old, same old, where you know every February and March everyone gets around the table and and puts together a new one-year rate package. I think savvy com- companies are looking at multi-year uh, contracting, but at the same time, I, I really don't see. Uh, anyone able to put a date in terms of where this, you know, container getting, as I like to call it, will will stop. Um, if anything, the ocean carriers have definitely learned uh, even more to the magnitude that anyone can believe how to basically help control the slotting and the spacing and the blank sailing. Uh, they've got a great playbook now, and COVID's only helped that. And I can only see that even when COVID goes away, the carriers are still going to have a great playbook. Yeah, that was Let's talk Patrick about Berlin. that playbook. <laughs> yeah, remember Patrick Berlin said to us, he's like, I don't see them ever letting it overcapacity, no. at least in terms of the impact on rates, be as big of an issue as it would be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about that a little bit. I know where you got FCC from. It's the PCC you oh, were yes. thinking of, the Philippine Competition Commission, which uh, Splash 24-7 reported a preliminary investigation by them suggests that some container lines are engaged in price fixing. Uh, Johannes Barnabe, who is the commissioner there in an interview, uh, told uh, the local business uh, Mirror newspaper, uh, shipping lines calling Manila could Manila, sorry, could be colluding. What, 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 do, you, what do you say about that, Steve? I say that's, uh, you know, on one hand, I, I want to say that uh, um, I should step back for a second, because I think <laughs> when when the Chinese Ministry of Transportation, you know, would say something like that, it gets a lot of uh, ears uh, and hearts pumping. Um, as much as I respect the Philippines and the Filipino people for being great seafarers and being a great location for transshipment and other products, um, you know, a, a smaller country like the Philippines is, is not going to really have the kind of influence that Chinese and American regulators would have on, on the industry. Um, so it's possible that, uh, you know, the Philippine uh, government might impose, uh, you know, for example, uh, 
uh, a sanction for, you know, if a container ship is delayed. I mean, I, I don't see anything like that happening. I, I, I see it as a lot of talk um, and not much action on it. Uh, kind of the same way I see where, you know, let's say importers will file an action with the FMC right now saying, you know, in a 50 page argument, oh, well, you know, we're owed, you know, $300,000 because, you know, Ocean Carrier XYZ didn't honor our, 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 our contract commitment or they didn't give us enough slots on the vessel. That's hard to prove. You know, those kind of cases take three years and six figures of legal fees. So I think American importers, it's one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of uh, lawsuits or FMC actions right now, Tim and Michael, because it's very costly. And the FMC is, has really proven that they're not as good, they're not as terrific in terms of putting the hammer down as, say, the Chinese might be. Well, Lars Jensen also also said, and this kind of resonated with me when he was talking about, you know, a lot of people go, well, why don't all these big shippers jump in and, and come after the carriers and, and leverage them? And they were like, well, you know what? Because the big shippers know that everyone else has to pay these rates too. So it's a strategic and competitive advantage to them. So, you know, let, let everyone else bleed out. They've got more blood, right, Steve? Well, actually, that's that's so true. The reason why you don't see, you know, the top, 100 importers uh, making these filings is that they're uh, they're not paying the same rates that uh, the small to medium sized importers are. You know, uh, I'm not Amazon or Target are not my clients, um, and I can't talk for them. But uh, you know, there's no way Amazon or Target you know are paying the same rates that a you know a 500 or a thousand TEU importer are. And so Target and Amazon might be in that case saying, well, you know, in regular days, that that medium sized guy was a pretty good competitor of ours. Right. You know, we had to really kind of watch him a little bit what he was doing. Now, the eye is on the prize of, you know, Amazon and Target growing their own empires and less on the eye of that competitor, because they know that it's going to be hard for that competitor to, to sustain that kind of uh, uh, cargo volume movement at the margin at the excess margin that, that that importer has to pay. Another acronym, GRIPSS, right, Michael Vincent? Why not? Freight pricing indexes. That's another <laughs> story, right? Another freight pricing indexes. Uh, also, they're saying that they're broken right now because of that and because of the massive spread between the bigger importers yeah. and what they're they're very hard to read and indicate. What is going on in in the sea intelligence right now, Steve? Well, that's the problem, Tim. That is the crux of the problem. As I said on my uh, my show on Friday, is I believe that, you know, uh, even up to a year, a year and a half ago, two years ago, I, I don't have the exact timing in, in, in my mind right now. You know, I always used to look at the Shanghai Container Freight Index as a way for me to um, uh, give some uh, emphasis on what rates we're doing to my clients. Now you have five, six, seven different indices, uh, you know, Drury, Freightos, you know, S&P. I mean, they're all great. There's, you know, I don't want to leave any of them out that are that are out there. But I think that they're faulty. They're faulty to the point where they've actually caused more of a problem than they've solved. Because, you know, one, pe- one person may look at it and say, oh, OK, I'm pretty close. And then they look at another index saying, whoa, you know, geez, that's that's really, uh, you know, we are paying too much. So it may be self-perpetuating. These indices have actually caused more problems than they've helped. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, let's talk about Home Depot. They got their own charter. Walmart got their charter. A lot of people, when you talk to them about that, the person outside the industry, me myself at some point, I say, okay, so now they got their own ship that they can uh, have sit out there 31st in line outside in, at San Pedro Harbor. How, what What is the advantages of doing this? What are the implications? And, and what does this look like, make things look like moving forward? 
Well, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, based on my connections and my clients and, you know, what I know, uh, there's not a lot of people that uh, know more than I do in terms of how this this works. So your, your question is real timely. There's a lot I can't talk about because of confidentiality. But one of the things I can tell you that uh, makes the chartering uh, of ships attractive is that sometimes the, the uh, importer chartering the ships can kind of call their shots in terms of where the ship's going to dock. You know, you saw a very famous uh, uh, public move of um, e uh, rad power bikes recently up in Everett, Washington, where uh, rad power bikes COO came on and talked about the, um, the, 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 the secret sauce behind that charter. It was very successful, successful for them, especially to go into a place like Everett, Washington. You know, there's uh, some obscure ports near Oakland. There's uh, San Diego. Um, I think the issue on the charters is you you kind of get some uh, potentially privileged berthing, and I would say I would say that alone is worth a few thousand dollars in ocean points. I see. Well, speaking of getting a few thousand or maybe a few hundred thousand dollars in ocean points, people they're getting bills, they're getting charges on there they're not familiar with. I've done freight bill auditing before. I got to imagine there's got to be overcharges, there's got to be disputed charges. That's your expertise. What can you do for shippers right now? What should they be looking at? Well, Tim, I think the biggest issue is that, uh, you know, three, four or five years ago, you would have a $2,000 rate and, you know, maybe the refund on that might be $150. Now, that's still a re remarkable refund because, you know, if you have a $150 refund over thousands of containers, I think the issue today is that, you you know, you have containers in the seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 range, and you might have a, a, a refund of $2,000 a container or $1,500. And I think what's happened is that um, COOs, uh, SVPs, supply chain finance controllers, certainly uh, CFOs, they they go to our uh, great, beautiful colleagues in logistics and say, "Hey, you know, you busted your budget." And I think that one of the one of the problems is that the logistics manager or director they're so busy now processing these ocean rates in real time to move the, the cargo, not not the uh, invoicing values itself. They just don't have time to say, wow, hey, these invoices are so, you know, uh, misguided. They're wrong. They're built incorrectly. They're being dealt out like a deck of bad cards. And so, unfortunately, people always say, well, we'll get to it later. Later always becomes a year or two later, and it's too late to really mount a good recovery. So what I'm suggesting to clients is that, you know, they make sure that they're looking at what they get quoted when that cargo arrived into the, into the gate. The CY receiving date at origin, the container yard receiving date at origin is the key to good quality control for making sure you're getting charged the right rate. And, you know, for, for everyone that didn't, you know, I think that uh, there's great uh, there's great freight auditing companies out there. I happen to specialize just in ocean. I don't do any other modes. And so by working on contingency, which means that you never pay for an audit, I'm able to get hundreds of thousands of dollars back to clients um, to help them offset the cost of container getting. And I think it's a huge plus right now. And um, we're starting to see a lot of great mavericks out there that are taking advantage of cost containment. Because like we talked about at the top of my segment, I just see costs increasing and GRIs and PSSs and congestion surcharges. Um, you know, these budgets are broken. Yeah, definitely are. So, Steve, let, let's talk about all things book, mm. huh? Tell us, 
Tell who's the intended audience. Tell us about the book. Why should I be buying this? Why should I care if I'm if I'm not in maritime? Well, that's the point. Uh, navigating B two B is really uh, for not only uh, anyone that is in maritime, but it's really written for the entrepreneur or the person that's been a long tenured employee at at, at an insurance company at a at a retailer, and they want the uh, the ability to go start something in their own domain expertise. You know, when I was working in the ocean industry as a salesperson, all I knew was ocean. And, you know, ocean hasn't had much, if anything, new innovative wise ever since double stack trains. And I thought that, wow, a freight audit company that specializes in ocean freight and helps clients, you know, get back three years of refunds. That's pretty boutique. So I thought to myself, you know, geez, I'll just bottle up all the experiences that I had to create that dynamic and let's let the guy that's selling insurance capitalize on it. The, the, the gal that's selling, you know, I don't know, multi-level marketing, the, the gal that wants to start, uh, you know, a, a staffing service. What I, what the book is about, it's not, is the book is about using your creativity uh, above everything else, above your personal network, above your money, above your marketing, above your advertising. It's using a creative approach to find a niche to generate new business. And that's really the, the opportunity at hand for everyone, whether you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur, whether you're working in, uh, you know, uh, as a longtime employee at, a, at a, uh, um, um, a paper company and you want to go start your own specialty paper company. This book helps you to achieve those, uh, those uh, critical key moments in, in the stair-step progression to grab your own piece of entrepreneurship. Wow, it was like self-help book for I would say supply chain, but it sounds like you're covering even more business than than just supply chain. Who's the reader? Who's your who's your Mary? Well, I, I did. I really did feel. I really do feel that uh, we don't have enough entrepreneurs in the logistics space. I mean, you've got a lot of great guys that have started, you know, tech companies, but I really think that um, the logistics manager, logistics director, the ocean freight guy or gal that's been in ocean freight for such a long time. I think that ocean freight needs to be sh really, we need to shake up the industry with great entrepreneurs. So obviously people know me from the ocean industry, so that's really a target market. But my target market in general is uh, anyone involved. I mean, one of the biggest keywords on LinkedIn is a hashtag is entrepreneurship and storytelling. And if you're in sales marketing and you need a better way to tell a story or, or create content, I think the book is for those people. What do you think of like guys like Trung Fan? You might you might know him on Twitter, you might not, but he started he, he's doing a great job. So he started taking a LinkedIn, and um, instead of just like you know trouncing on LinkedIn and making fun of LinkedIn, he's just making you know there's like a lot of stories that seem really fake on LinkedIn. Like I was walking past no. Starbucks and I saw a homeless guy, yeah. and then I gave him some money. Totally. You know, um, you know VC funded him and he started his first company. Yeah, he makes like joke <laughs> posts like like that. He's he's done a phenomenal job. I think more <laughs> memes and and jokes need to be utilized on LinkedIn. I think people get way too stuffy about like this is business only and then like the worst when people apologize for putting up a post they're like oh sorry i usually do business only like dude shoot your shot just put your post up right steve i think the best thing on linkedin and uh, i'm a fan <laughs> of it is you know video i just think if you can convey yourself in a video and don't really you know you have some creative posts and you can mix them up with some you know some videos uh, i'm a big fan of uh you know uh I think you guys know like bomb bomb and other video techniques to give a mm -hmm. personal delivered message. I, I just think you can't really, you know, those stories are really so hokey about, you know, I went by Starbucks or the guy with the, the, the gave the last $20 of his money to, uh, you know, somebody that needed it to buy gas. I mean, you know, come on, you know, cry me a river. Right. 
<laughs> Let's send it to the wheel. Wheel of stupid question Hell time, yeah, Steve. Spin Steve that thing. Stupid. Spin that thing. In the world of stupidity. You get to drink from the fire hose, Steve. There we are. There we are. Okay, Steve, are you ready? Here it is. I am. Dooner and I are going to give you two trillion dollars and twenty years to build something in the USA. What do you build? Time machine. A time machine. I like it. Why? What would you do with it? Wow. Okay. Sounds like Spax would be uh, interested. I like the, uh, when I was a kid, uh, one of my favorite shows back in the 60s was this uh, TV show called Time Tunnel. And they, got, they would go back to the Roman ages, to the birth of Christ, you know, uh, to the dinosaur age. And they would, they would just experience what that was for a couple of days. And I, I'd like to do that. Well, Steve, thank you very much. Look up Steve Ferreira on LinkedIn. Also, make sure you do not give the infrastructure project money to Steve Ferreira because he's not going to put it to any good use whatsoever. And he's going to fund his own maniacal genius project of making a time machine. Good luck to you and the Red Sox, as we say in Boston, Steve. Take it easy. Thanks for having me. You said you were going to buy, you're going to build a magic school bus, though. Uh, man. It's hard to even value money anymore because we throw out, we print so much, yeah. and we throw around these random yeah. valuations. I know. Two all I know is with inflation, I'm pretty sure we're all, if you haven't gotten a raise this year, I'm pretty sure we're all earning less money than we were last year if you haven't gotten a raise yet. Because yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Two trillion dollars. Consider. I don't think that's enough to build a time machine. Two okay. Trillion. With fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your freight from Love's Truck Care and Speedco. Learn more at Tell Em Dude. Hey, go to loves.com. Yes, and whoever on set keeps drinking the prop water. Don't drink the Stop prop water. Drinking it. All right, let's talk to Chris Atkinson, now CEO of Fleet Ops, where the driver makes the first move. Finally, like farmers only, but for truckers. I said the tagline, which I'm pretty sure I came up with on Freightwaves Insiders. Thank you for the t-shirt, by the way. I've been looking through my neighborhood for the missing shirt that you sent me. I haven't seen anybody walking around the neighborhood with it. But if I do, I will assault them and rip it off their back. Yeah, tell them, tell them that's how we do things in freight. well so fleet house matches freight to trucks before the carriers start looking so tell us a little bit about that just give us the elevator we match truck drivers with shipments using vehicle data and artificial intelligence what's different about us and other companies that do that is that we do it through the actual eld so we partner with eld companies and we give them a white labeled load board that sits on top of their existing software and Today, we partner with other brokerages on the other side of that marketplace to help those brokerages build up their capacity network and find capacity in the spot market. Got it. So, Chris, uh, you're you're in touch with the uh, industry, obviously. So what are you seeing? What are the impacts from the semiconductor shortage? Yeah, other than the ones we covered in that headline about Mexico. Yeah, other than, you know, Mexico, (laughs) yeah, the automobiles going down and not being produced, et cetera. Well, I'd say, number one, this affects everyone. So if you're moving into a new home and you're buying appliances, you might find that those appliances are more expensive. It's also affecting the um, sort of the rental car and used car industry, used equipment industry, because for the first time in a long time, the prices of those things are going up. And for everyone who's in the industry today, that means that in the future, it may be more difficult to find vehicles. We're in a state right now where Capacity has only increased by 2%, while demand's increased by approximately 13%. And still, you might see a situation where truck manufacturers are having trouble keeping up with the demand and manufacturing the necessary trucks that need to be pushed into the market. 
Um, and then, of course, at the same time, just the general production of goods that we all use every day, that we all love to use every day, that's going to become an increasingly large problem. And the reality of it is there's only a few companies that make these semiconductors and do a good job of, of, of making them. So um, it's, it, it's going to be challenging for us to keep up with things with the current state. Yeah, you can't just, uh, it's not like you can just build a, 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 a factory to start building semiconductors. It's no. $20 billion, a couple of years, five, six years to build these type of things. That's crazy. What about the uh, implications of consolidation on, and, uh, on barriers to, on the barriers uh, to entry in the market? Consolidation of, of, of brokerage and truckload, et cetera. How does that affect? What we're seeing today is that you, you obviously, you know, everyone <laughs> saw what happened with, uh, with Transplace, and I've seen it sort of amused uh, on Twitter that that's not going to be the largest uh, consolidation event this year. There's more to come. And what that means is that the quality and the you know, size of the brokerages begin to increase. So today you've got uh, 13,000 or more brokerages in the market that are competitive with each other. As that number decreases over time, it becomes harder to build a brokerage, especially when a lot of the brokerages that are in the industry today are adopting more technology. So they're getting faster, they're getting smarter with better use of data. And that's an area that we try to help in. How do we ensure that you know, everyone has access to similar technology? How do you ensure that that technology is democratized to the extent that it can be? And um, I, I think what it means is just raising the bar overall in the industry and making it so that uh, everyone has to play on a more competitive field. Chris, let me ask you something. So you match real live drivers with a pulse with freight. There's a lot of talk about autonomous trucks. I think they're still kind of a ways off, Michael Vincent. I don't mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you see warehouses, right. all, uh, broker, yeah. I think brokerages are more in harm's way. Brokers right now doing sort of repetitive tasks are way more in harm's way than drivers are. But eventually there will be autonomous trucks. So is that a threat to a company like yours that matches drivers? Or is this something you've already taken into consideration and you plan to match autonomous trucks with freight as well? That's always been our plan. Our, our plan has always been to use that vehicle data as a blueprint for the future. So how do you use, what's, what's the closest proxy to you know, using vehicle coming off of an autonomous truck today for matching drivers with shipments? And the closest proxy is ELD data, is engine data. So we've got access to a ton of it, and that's why we're using it. Uh, I think that you know, we're in a state right now where it's difficult to determine where things net out because you've got truck manufacturers building out autonomous technology, but then you also have non-truck manufacturers building out autonomous technology. So where all that nets out in terms of who is going to control that and how that's going to affect the freight markets is important. But as we have an infrastructure bill coming in, more truck drivers probably moving out of the cabin into the construction site, the pressures on automation are increasing. Um, So yeah, I I mean, I agree with you, Dooner. It's not it's not that close, but um, there's a lot of pressure on it to accelerate it as quickly as possible, for sure. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see who actually wins out on it. The tech side that's going to be able to adapt to all the different OEMs or the OEMs that have it for their own specific reasons or whatever, who wins out on that is going to be interesting to see. We talk about capacity and demand for capacity is obviously the demand there is outpacing the actual capacity we have for many reasons. One, semiconductors, yeah. right? 
uh, hence three-year-old trucks, uh, used trucks are now $80,000 instead of $50,000 a couple months ago. Uh, What does this mean really for owner operators and fleets? What's the effects? It it means that owner operators, there's going to be more drivers moving into, you know, an an owner operator rule just because the gains are so high, um, which can, you know, increase the amount of, it it can increase fragmentation in one way. But I, I think what has to happen is a lot of these large fleets will have to keep up with the, you know, outpacing of, of demand from capacity. I think that's where a lot of the growth is going to come. And they're trying to do it. Mostly the new trucks being put on the road are being put on the road by the MCs that hold the most assets today. But still, it's true that, um, you know, that needs to that needs to happen faster if it can happen faster, which, again, of course, difficult because of a variety of different factors. Um, but I, you know, it's said by most experts that 2022 is going to look more like this year and more like more like 2020, where the highs are higher and the lows are higher. And uh, that makes it very challenging for anyone to keep up. Chris, let's throw him to the wheel. Oh, wheel of stupid wheel. questions time. You get to drink from the fire hose. Coming and I UHF, Weird right, Al, 1989. Okay. I got it, man. Classic. Let me see that wheel. What is it? Oh, here. Oh, okay. Okay, good one. Would you like to play a game, Chris? Jigsaw has put you in a trap because you don't appreciate X about life enough. What is X? <laughs> Sorry, could you just say it one more time? Yeah, so Jigsaw from Saw, he's put you in a trap, yeah. right? He's put you in a trap because you don't appreciate X about life enough. What about life don't you appreciate enough? Could you put more thought into or love more? Um, food. Food. Oh. Oh, that, I'm I would, so okay. busy. I'm not. No, yeah, that I'm not, is uh, bizarre, man. No, that is bizarre. No, Chris, <laughs> Chris, that was my exact answer when we were talking uh, when we first wrote this question out a few weeks ago. That was my exact answer because, and, and that's where it came from. I'm like, you know what? I don't really have a scarcity of food. I, we have a, a bounty of riches, and I, oftentimes I just look at it as a chore, and it's just something you got to do. And I'm sick of thinking of what to eat, and it's it can be a pain in the butt. I'm with you, Chris. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I order too much of it. Yeah, it's 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 more of a task than uh, than anything else. I, I you know too often just I have to fuel. So oh, I hear man. you, Chris. Fleet ops, check him out. Fleet ops for drivers make the first move. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Now, Michael Vincent and I we're going to go on a field trip. Let's go head over to Tame and Transport. I got to change my clothes first. Okay. Does anyone here know the story of this fish? Who knows of the story of don't the fish? Know. These fish's stories belie me. They are. Looks like a northern pike. Is that a northern pike? No, it's a taman. What's a taman? Oh, you don't know taman? Do tell, sir. So in Mongolia, they're called the river wolves. They have giant teeth and they hunt in packs. <sighs> That's vicious fish. I'll uh, introduce you to Kevin since we're right here. All right, let's do it. Uh, and then uh, Derek's hey, going to one, one of those co-founders. Nice to meet you. All these little numbers on these rate cons, it's the one you leave off is the one they're going to need. So you put every little piece of information you yeah. can onto the load so they can see it. We met this great guy, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> Sandrock, man, Sandrock. Smash cut. Kevin, this is Kevin. Kevin, how you doing today? I am doing great today. Awesome stuff. So, uh, Kevin, you used to drive the truck, right? And then it got too much for you, man, and you just left and had to go to um, push pencils instead of pushing diesel around. Not exactly. Not exactly. Order. I done. drove for 23 years, various companies. Uh, about a year ago, I came and joined the Tayman family and started driving. It's truly, uh, I mean, everybody says that they're a family-oriented company. This is the only company I've ever been with that I could call the call the owner of the company and he would pick up the phone or call me back which really impressed me 
this opportunity came up in the dispatch, and I wanted to get out of the typecast of just being a driver. I really like doing it. I have a really good rapport with the drivers because when they call me with whatever problem they're having, what level were you under? I've had the same problems. I've been driving for, I'm driving trucks, big trucks for two and a half years now. Now, what are you, what are you sitting in right now? This is an International Lone Star. Beautiful. What's your favorite kind of truck to drive? Any kind that doesn't break down. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> break a one nine for that rubber ducky. You gonna get a mic check? Thank you, driver. Appreciate it. There you go. <laughs> How's driving been over the past two and a half years, especially through the uh, pandemic? It's it's still going. Yeah. Through yeah. the pandemic, we were essential workers. So, as a matter of fact, we I I myself with the company I was with, we didn't slow down. We actually picked up. What put you in a truck? Why why trucking? Um, my grandfather was a trucker, mm-hmm. and I am the only one in our family that has lived on the legacy. We've made it to the boardroom here at Tame and Transport, and we're sitting today with... Brian Whitley. Brian Whitley, what do you do over here? I'm the president of the Tame and Transport and Truck Lines. What we've learned in talking to your drivers and your staff and Kevin, your dispatcher over there, is that you're doing a phenomenal job of bridging the culture of the driver and the office worker. Tell me how you're executing that. Every bit of this pup plays into the culture for us. So uh, it's the culture for the office staff. It's the culture for the drivers. Uh, the bridge is for the drivers. The drivers are they're visible in our office. They stop by. They come by, as you've seen today. Um, they're just as important to us as anybody in the organization. Um, our staff internally works with them hand in hand every day um, about the opportunities that they have, their interests. Um, you know, they're the ones that are where the rubber meets the road. Um, what's in their best interest? What do they want to do? And we're trying to match up those opportunities with them on what they want to do on a daily basis. We want them to meet everybody from the finance team to both Chris and myself as the senior management standpoint, but also dealing with the dispatchers, everybody in the office that's even from the interns. It's a complete culture that they may have an opportunity to interact with, and we want them to get to know everybody by the first names. <laughs> that, was a, hey, that was a good time. Anybody out there, you know, you want us to come by your, your office, reach out to me, tduner at freightwaves.com. That's T-D-O-O-N-E-R at freightwaves.com. Dot com. I really want to thank Ryan Pamplin from Tamen for setting oh, yeah. us up. We told him the concept. We wanted to talk. We knew that their drivers uh, stopped by the office all the time. We said, that sounds really cool that they come through Freight Alley. And instead of, like, stopping at a rest stop, they stop by there. They get to eat. They get to yep. shower up. I think they even had White Claws in that fridge. They had that little, <laughs> yeah, that little yeah. gym, some cool artwork. And a really, really great staff over there. But one thing I noticed, Michael Vincent, was yes, we just had these trucks in this parking lot. They brought them in there for the drivers. Yep. And there were so many cars that drove by us, like, mean-mugging us, right? Oh, yeah. People no just, doubt about it. The I one guy came around twice. <laughs> we got to experience a truck driver's life just standing by a truck, just getting mean-mugged by every car that went by. Some guy drove by twice. He gave us the invisible finger through his mean-mug. He beeped at us. It was like, really, dude? Yeah. It's like, we're just interviewing drivers here, man, looking at some truck. Yeah. That was not, a good time. Not, but if you want to stop anyway. by, check out your office. We're always open to an invite. We'll work out details with you, that kind of thing. But once again, thank you, Tame and Transport. It was really cool to learn a little bit about what you guys do Absolutely. up the street. Little big deal, little deal, real quick. All right. Run through it. What do we got here? Let's see. According to NWI, a Hammond man faces kidnapping and theft charges in the late criminal court after he took a car salesman hostage and crashed their vehicle into the back of a semi-trailer 
on the Borman Expressway earlier last week. There's a picture of the incident. Yeah. The man report. It's a U.S. Express truck, by the way. The man reported, <laughs> which was had nothing to do with this, right? Yeah, the man reported. Not, not U.S. Express had that no guy's problem. the U.S. Express truck is just driving down the road. He's this guy, the, the man reported, that he's being held against his will. He's in a 2009 Kia Borrego by a suspect during a test drive that uh, started at the Bosco Family Motorship Dealerships in Holbert. Uh, well, the salesman was still the nine one one dispatchers. The Kia rear-ended that semi truck at high rate of speed. Is it a big deal or a little deal? Used car prices got that much that people are resorting to stealing 2009 Kias? It's like, the only one on the lot that had a that had a chip in it, I, I guess. guess so. It's a big deal to that salesman. I think <laughs> I in the grand scheme of things, it isn't that big of a deal. Bigger a bad plan. Did he really plan on stealing it and accidentally kidnap this guy? I'm arguing with you. I'm saying it's a big deal because it's an indication of the deterioration of society as people resort to stealing 2019 Kia Yeah, Yeah, all right, Dave. You got a point there. You got a point there. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, so how about this, my friend? Uh, seafood, how about that supply the seafood supply chain? A lobster diver is grateful to be alive after being swallowed by a humpback whale. Michael Packard was allowed sw- was swallowed by a 40-foot whale <laughs> off the coast of Cape Cod. All of a sudden, he I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, I was in complete darkness, in complete black, Packard recalled. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the whale sneeze, or squeeze, sneezing, squeezing the muscles in his mouth, and spat him, spat him out. Can you try to read these before the show? <laughs> well, so I read this one a couple weeks ago. I read this one a couple weeks, because this is from June. Oh, actually. yeah, I know yeah. it's from June, but it's Cape Cod. It's a big deal. Uh, well, you know what's a big deal? Maybe well, I, I, someone getting, like, Jonah and the whale is a big deal. But no, it's an even bigger deal. What? Ghost fishing gear estimated to make up 46 to 70 percent of all the macroplastic marine debris by weight Ooh. yeah and you get swallowed by a whale you know what happens what? your fishing gear goes all out in the water so the whale's not doing themselves any favor here no. this is a self-inflicted wound by this whale <laughs> all right so i'm saying it's a big deal okay. big, people can't afford cars they can't afford the fish can't afford to eat they're eating fishermen the lobster fishermen Wow, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. All right. No, it's not. No, it's not. At least in my opinion. Here's one. Trader Joe's set to open their doors on August 25th. The store located at 2111 Gunbower Road near Hamilton Place. It marks the first Trader Joe's in southern Tennessee. Trader Joe's come. Big deal, little deal. Well, well, I'm just going to say little deal just to argue wrong. with you, my friend. You're wrong. Little Cut deal, off. very Cut small deal, deal. no It's deal. a huge deal. Once you have that orange chicken, your life will be changed forever, Michael Vincent. Little Trader deal. Joe's can't come the soon enough. I know my wife's excited. Baby. I know every Chattanooga other than this man is excited because Trader Joe's is where it's at, man. You ever had no Joe's? You ever had their pub cheese? Gosh, man, they got great coffee, Italian coffee. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner or at Trader Joe's. Find him at Vincent the Dude. We'll catch you on Wednesday at noon Eastern time. Tell about it, B. Peace and love, everybody. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>